Hey everyone, welcome to the Real Talk Podcast, where CRE gets real. I'm Liz Berthelet, Director of Research at NAI Hunneman and your affable host. Now more than ever, stats, analytics, data are infiltrating all facets of our industry. Lucky for you, I'm an expert. Today we're taking a deeper dive into the use of research in media. I've asked two of Boston's best and brightest CRE journalists to join me in this discussion. And it's only by coincidence that they're both Southern transplants. <laughs> to my left is Catherine Carlock from the Boston Business Journal. Well, I guess I should say, hey, y'all, since I'm, I've been outed as a Southern transplant. So, hey, y'all. And to my right is Cameron Sparrens from BizNow Boston. Howdy, howdy, y'all. <laughs> Before we start, why don't y'all give us the Reader's Digest version of your background in a for, in foray into the industry. Uh, well, Liz, that was a very good use of y'all, so I applaud you on that. Thank you, um, thank you. So I uh, grew up in Virginia and uh, went to school at Washington and Lee University, where I got my degree in journalism, um, and from there went to a business journal in Greensboro, North Carolina, called the Triad Business Journal. Uh, wrote a lot about real estate down there, uh, and then about three years ago came up to Boston. Um, now I'm now the, the real estate editor at the Boston Business Journal, so cover... Uh, primarily commercial real estate, big company moves, big developments. Uh, there's a lot going on in Boston in real estate these days, so it keeps me pretty busy. For sure. Um, I originally am from Memphis, Tennessee, came up to Boston to go to Boston College, got an internship with the inside track of the Boston Herald, uh, did a couple of years there covering celebrity gossip, transitioned out to the business and real estate section, which is where kind of the interest built, went freelance for a while, started working at BizNow as the Boston Reporter a little over a year now, and uh, as Catherine said, there are so many stories, and it's been a very, very quick year um, covering Boston Scoop. I would agree with that. Hard to keep up. And almost as gossipy as celebrity news. 100%. (laughs) Especially lately. (laughs) Right? Right? Well, that's great, guys. Now, With that said, why don't we dive in to some of the topics that we're thinking about discussing today. And I think the first one is, you know, importance of research and data in writing a story. Mm -hmm. Does it add value, authenticity, credibility? I know, Cameron, you were telling me a story before we we started recording about some fake news. So I think getting your opinion on all that (laughs) would be helpful. I think, you know, even beyond that specific story, I I think especially in the era of fake news kind of being levied a lot against journalists, you can never have too many statistics, you can never have too much data just because everyone's going to look for a way to kind of say, oh, he's manipulating something, so or or she's manipulating something, so it's just, I think data more than ever, um, you can't really refute facts um, Mm -hmm. or an SEC 10K or Mm -hmm. something like that, so I just think you can find a way to pepper that into a story. It really just gives you more of a foundation, and uh, ideally, you won't get an email that says what you wrote was fake news. I would just like to register my ongoing complaint that fake news is an oxymoron because something can't be fake if it's news. So that's you know my my uh, little PSA soapbox there. But um, I, I mean I totally agree with Cameron. I um, when I first started, I had a boss um, who used to tell or an editor who used to tell me. Uh, that statistics and numbers didn't matter unless you could explain why they mattered or you could show the change in and why how that statistic kind of got to be where it was. And so a number is just a number unless you can explain 
why that matters. So that's where data and research can come in to say, okay, not just this is the number, but this is how it's changed in the past year. This is how it's changed in the past five years. This is how thing. This is how this movement has, or this is how this is really, um, this trend has really changed over time. So that kind of that kind of research and, and data is just so invaluable in helping you actually explain why something is important and why something matters. Because so much of, of our job is to not just say what happened, but tell you why that matters that it happened um, and, and why uh, why you should care. So, you know, if you just have 9.7% just out there as a number, that doesn't really mean anything unless you can say what what's the, the movement behind it, and, and that's where so much of, of research and data can really help tell that story. And I would completely agree with that. I think on the research side, even when you're dealing with investors or owners or brokers or tenants, you know, you have to make the data actionable. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if the unemployment rate is 2% or 5%. What does that mean for me? How am I going to use that information to make a business decision? And that's, you know, where I come in and say, okay, well, this data is important and this is what's been going on and these are the trends that you should pay attention to because you can buy a building or you should sell your building or you should move because all of your employees are in a different location than when you currently are. Yeah. I actually have a sign above my computer that says, why does it matter? Uh, because, and which could be some sort of, you know, existential crisis kind of sign. But <laughs> it, it also is, it's a constant reminder for me to say, okay, not just that this is the news or this is the piece of data or this is the research, why does it matter? So building that back out to, like you say, make it actionable, um, especially in business journalism. So much of who our readers are are people who are in the business of real estate. It's not a general consumer. So they want to know why it matters so they can go out and make that business decision. And if your stories have research data, better information, then your readers are going to be better informed. Absolutely. And I also think, uh, as you said, make it actionable. Um, you and I have chatted before of how like, some of your reports have mentioned, um, I, I think early on in my tenure at BizNow, that um, subleasing on the rise can sometimes be cause for alarm. But unless you explain, if you presented it just as subleasing is up, like maybe that causes panic. But as you have said, kind of, it, it's important to explain that, no, Boston's kind of an extraordinary market at the moment. And I, I think it's very, um, I don't know, I, I think kind of putting a narrative to it is very important right now, especially in a market so unique as Boston's. Mm -hmm. Yep, those are all great points. Um, Moving on to our second question, tools and resources. I know I, I face, you know, tool and resource overload, data overload, analytic overload. What are some of the top things that you guys can't live without to get your job done? Is it the assessor's database, SEC filings, CoStar, um, other tools that you need to get your job done? I'd say SEC filings, um, the BPDA has a pretty good database. I mean, that's kind of where the Amazon story yesterday came from is just if you kind of closely monitor it, that's where you're going to see a lot of action in commercial real estate. Um, Some of the databases, uh, I, I don't want to call out CoStar in particular, but just sort of in general, I feel like when I go into that route, I try to use more than one in a story because I have had instances where people will email me after a story's published and say, well, you know, X 
no one can trust them. Oh, and then like a week later, get someone who says, well, th that's the most reliable one out of. Them. So I think like once you kind of start venturing into some of the data aggregates, it's very important to kind of diversify them. So you know, you seem a little bit more credible. Absolutely, because a lot of times the some databases and those aggregate databases are relying on sometimes outdated information or the information that was right when it was posted but maybe it was posted three weeks ago and since then there's been a deal that's happened that's changed those numbers uh, so if you're just relying on that information online without a uh, without a, a human to, to back it up, like a, an affable research director uh, <laughs> or a broker or someone in the, in the industry who knows the, you know, the up to the minute information, um, then, then some of that, yeah, I like to either to diversify or, or to spread out kind of to double check those numbers because um, that can be, that can lead you down to a path towards inaccuracy and that's just not where any of us want to go. Um, I rely a lot, again, on the, on the um, BPDA website, their document center. Uh, almost, and a lot of people I think are surprised when they hear that the BPDA puts out everything on their website, but they put out everything on their website, and that is immensely helpful in terms of uh, new project notification forms, new letters of intent, all those. Um, the like yesterday's application, um, 121B application, uh, that did confirm what I have been reporting for months that Amazon was looking to lease up to a million square feet in the seaport. You know, that came out because of a filing yesterday that was posted publicly on the Boston Plans uh, website. Um, I also use, I go to a lot, the um, Suffolk County Registry of Deeds, just to check, uh, just to check individual building sales and, and individual building transactions. Uh, that's not something that, at least something that I've found that's in aggregate somewhere. So if you go through, you kind of have to click each individual property sale, which can be sort of tedious, but also can yield some really interesting data um, with um, with the capital markets market being as, as frothy as it has been in the past few years. That's been, that's yielded a lot of really good stories for me. All Especially right. when you kind of have an era of certain, not to knock PR reps, but when they're like, well, we can't tell you who bought this or who sold this it's just like that will become like your best friend as a reporter absolutely and and it's always there's always some <laughs> record of it somewhere oh, 100%. and and a lot of times you do get companies and I get that you know there are some clients that don't want that number out there attached but uh, you know there's always a record of it somewhere so you can go and find okay well it, the deed was recorded three days ago and it was recorded for X amount of dollars and then you can click back to see how much was it sold for three years ago? And again, to compare, if I say ABC building sold for $25 million, that doesn't really mean anything. But if I say, okay, well, three years ago it sold for two and a half, that that tells the story that much more. Um, that, that helps me tell the story that and, and give it the kind of uh, importance that, that it can kind of require, I guess. It's also, sorry, uh, the BPDA document center. I think that what was kind of interesting, even just on my walk over here, I noticed like there are a few voices on Twitter who really stay on top of them to like, <laughs> and I think you probably know. Why can't? Who are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. Um, Is there a neighborhood Twitter account that's very vocal? Perhaps you might be sitting in that neighborhood right now. Imagine. <laughs> but, um, that account, plus, I have noticed a few others are like, you know, where are the minutes from this meeting or, XYZ, and they're very, very responsive and on top of getting 
material up there. So, so is that how you guys kind of keep up with all of the paperwork that's coming out, everything that's getting filed? Are you guys using scraping technology, or are you kind of, you know, banging the keyboards looking for new updates every day? I don't know what scraping technology is, so... Uh, but all so, of yeah. <laughs> But I'm definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, no. So there's, there's really smart people out on Reddit or software developers who write code to scrape government documents so that you can get information. Oh, I myself am trying to figure out how I can leverage that, but I mean, I mean, we're sort of in the same boat. I work for you know an independent company. We don't have a huge amount of firepower behind uh, behind the research department. It's me and one other person. So kind of coming up with ways to be more efficient and getting alerts more automatically is super helpful. Mm-hmm. So I'm that's something that I'm you know working on or striving to do. So I just was wondering if you guys. We're in that boat, or that sounds I would very. Like to be. Yeah, I would. I would too. That sounds very cool. Um, but it is a lot of yeah, pounding the keyboard and just refreshing that website constantly. Right. Uh, and and also, um, I mean the the research reports from each brokerage. I mean NAI does a really good research uh, quarterly research well, report. Thank you. Um, Again, affable research. <laughs> uh, no, but but I the those those reports are really. Uh, gold mines of information in terms of reporting what you're hearing on the ground, um, aggregating how much um, how much activity is there out there. I mean, how many companies are looking to lease space in Boston or in Cambridge, and and those um, a lot of times things that are mentioned in those reports turn out to be huge stories that are really forward looking. Uh, which uh, so I always I always kind of say half jokingly but but not really i want i want to report on things before they happen because in real estate if if i'm reporting on a job and or on a deal that's already done 95% of my readers already know about it so i'm not really telling them anything that they don't already know so if i want to report on something before it happens that means before the lease is signed before the ground is broken uh, and that that's where my readers who are again, those in the business of real estate, that's where they can get in on that deal and, and probably make a little money. So that, uh, again, those research reports that identify here's what's coming are, are huge, huge resources for me. Yeah, I was going to, I would echo that with a lot of the research reports. I feel like it's always kind of what I find myself pushing to first is the 128 kind of corridor because I, I do notice just with our readership those stories tend to do really well because I feel like there's a lot of attention on in that area right now a because it's just so hard to get into the Boston market right now mm-hmm. um, to buy property in the urban core but it's just like that kind of seems to be where instead of where Kendall Square is just perpetually at like zero percent availability like there are a little bit of fluctuations at 128 and I think like I don't know that's kind of an interesting pocket to your research and others yeah the whole urban suburban you know in boston it's the 128 bell in other markets they have it it's sort of outside of of the core downtown markets that everyone's kind of saying well as these millennials get older you know they're in their mid-30s their late 30s they're having kids they want to move out of the city or at least some of them do where are they going to go they're going to go to brookline newton needham wellesley 
where the good schools are, but close enough to be able to commute back to the city, mm-hmm. um, which is unfortunate for like a 495 South commuter like myself. <laughs> I don't know any of my millennial friends who can afford to buy houses in those markets, so right. that's a whole other uh, conversation for maybe another right. day. But uh, but I'm I'm a renter in 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 the city, and I really enjoy it. Awesome. For whatever that's worth, yeah. Awesome. And, and I mean, I think it is kind of, it is fascinating because I think there's a story there, but it hasn't happened yet. I mean, there are, I, I mean, I don't see myself going out to the suburbs anytime soon, mm-hmm. but we are getting a lot of information saying it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next five to ten years, sort of when, you know, the older millennials get into their 40s. Um, you know, it'll be really interesting to see if people oh want to stay in the city or maybe they're going to go to Jamaica Plain. You never know. Or maybe um, all the luxury residences in the seaport will, maybe people will be able to afford those too. Although, who knows? You never know. Amazon's going to bring costs down. <laughs> <laughs> definitely all of those 4,900 workers that are coming yes. will definitely be able to, to live. Maybe they'll markets. all live in Somerville. You never know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> so with that, we can sort of head into our last topic, mm-hmm. data visualization and displaying information. What do you guys think is the best way within print and obviously with online media, given that you know the industry is sort of moving away from print? Um, I mean, I have my own thoughts on this. I, I always like you know sharp colors, graphs. I've seen a lot of blogs starting to integrate um, interactive graphs, which I think is totally interesting. Maps, I love maps. I think maps are great. Interactive maps are great. But sort of maybe if you guys want to chime in on your opinion on what you think is best for you know media in terms of displaying information. You mean just a full page of gray numbers telling you how <laughs> where stocks closed yesterday isn't a great visualization? Right. right. Um, <laughs> we uh, we actually um, the business journals um, as as a company have started doing um, it's an interactive map called Crane Watch, uh, and that's uh, research driven by the real estate reporters in in markets where there is a lot of activity. Um, obviously, in Boston, there is a ton of construction activity, uh, so it's tracking. Um, the, the large active construction projects in the city. So that is a map that um, that we put on, and, and if you click on certain, it's on our website, and if you click on certain um, data points, it's like, you know, there's a certain little uh, symbol for if it's a residential development versus mixed use versus hotel or education or what have you. Uh, so those have their each little symbols, and then if you click, there's, uh, there's a... Um, a little box that pops up with information about the project, project description, its address, uh, anticipated cost, and renderings as well. So that is something that I put a lot of time into, uh, but it is also something that has just gotten tremendous reader feedback. People have really, really responded to it because, and the, and the, the theme of those responses tends to be there's so much activity. This is so helpful to have it all in one place. Like it's right. so helpful for me to be able to visualize everything in one. Uh, so it can take. There's no. There's. I haven't figured out whatever the scraping technology is for for <laughs> Crane Watch. Um, so it is a lot of me going through building permits and and figuring and you know doing a lot of that kind of very manual research. But 
the benefit from that has been a boon to me to be able to just keep track of everything that's going on and to readers who have really responded well to uh, this is this is a tool that I can really use and as you get uh, as print media continues to find to struggle to find ways to um, to increase revenue streams having those tools that readers can use is just another way to say okay this media is the business journal is a, is a valuable resource that that hopefully people will want to continue to subscribe to and I'd say I mean we're not print, we're online only, but we are trying to find ways of just more interactive graphs, short colors, as you say, because I mean, I think the example that still resonates is the day of like Amazon, I, I know I sound like the one trick Amazon pony, but Amazon um, acquiring Whole Foods and just like the graph of like different like supermarket chains of that day of like how it just wiped out so much market share, just like the news that it was entering into grocery stores, mm -hmm. that really makes a story pop. So I, we are kind of exploring ways to do that. Um, right now, I think it is just largely more graphs, better visual representation through colors and things like that. Color always makes a huge difference. Absolutely. When yeah. I When I first started um, at the, the Business Journal in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, the paper did not have color it was it was a, it was a gray paper and if we had um, if we had color it would be like a specific like it would have to be like a very specific thing and so now uh, the paper um, as a company had gone through a, a rebrand and, and color is now everywhere and just that that explosion of having having actual color on a page and it's the same thing for the Wall Street Journal like they, they you know right. the Wall Street Journal for a long time was was only was only black and white and then when they introduced color it was like you know, heavens opened and clouds and angels were singing because it was like, ah, uh, this, uh, this introducing color just makes it, again, that just much more, that much more visually interesting. And, and when you're dealing with things that sometimes numbers can be a little cut and dry, having some of the, that, that color that can pop can make a huge difference. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I mean, in my job, I'm always trying to find new ways to display information hey, a bar chart's great, but is there some other way that we can show this information that will be impactful to the client or the potential client or the media, you know, our users, our readers, all of that. And there's been a huge shift or marriage, if you want to say, between, you know, research and graphics and marketing and kind of everyone working together where, you know, I don't have the graphic skills, but we have a graphics person and we work closely together to come up with, you know, infographics or interactive PDFs or even, you know, websites and all these things that Adobe's putting out. And I think it's going to be interesting to see where that marriage goes mm -hmm. in the industry and who's sort of putting out the best stuff um, and how research and graphics can really... Um, work together to make things interesting. Mm -hmm. I catch myself, I mean, I think it's hard being a B2B publication of getting these graphs and I'm like, oh, that's fascinating. Everyone reading is going to find it equally so and just like run with that and then realize, no, we do have a broader audience coming. Maybe like not have every minute like data point in there just to kind of make it a little easier on the eyes and things like that. And so I kind of have to Retoggle and not necessarily think of it as just like in the CRE reporter mindset, but just like how is 
how's my mom gonna <laughs> like it <laughs> right. watching this? Yeah. And yeah. like, you know, how how is it gonna appeal to her when she might not necessarily be as interested in some of some of the minute details? Right. And pulling back and saying, Okay, am I using too much jargon? Am I am I saying, Oh my gosh, look at the class B market and and and, and, and then like something that would make sense in to a real estate audience, but if you're pulling again, pulling back out and saying, how does this make sense to an everyday reader? Uh, would this be something that someone just off the street would be able to to get? And, and I mean, from a B2B publication and uh, writing for a business audience, you know, it is a bit more of a sophisticated audience than, than kind of your standard, um, you know, general news consumer. But that again is where some of the numbers can come in and just if you help explain okay well it may not sound like this number is a big deal or may not look like this chart is a big deal but here's why here's why this matters here's why this is important um, and I also I wanted to the in terms of presenting data in a, in a new way I've seen a couple of um, a couple of blogs that I follow have started using footnotes in an interesting way to say like you know, say it's an interview and, and they'll highlight a piece of the interview and then have that be a footnote and that will either link to a story that had mentioned a piece um, that had been mentioned in the in the initial kind of copy or just to say, well, actually, this is what this person meant to say or like, or like to, or can be sort of an explainer within the online article, which I've, hmm. which I've seen, um, which has been sort of new and, and I found that interesting and helpful because if something's at the bottom of the page I'm not usually going to scroll back down and then go back up so yeah, I, was, yeah. I, was, I like the chart side of things I was wondering if that was like if it, it would be like say a, a pie chart if you could click on one little slice of the pie and then have an explainer footnote kind of pop up that seems to me that it could be a cool a cool data thing to do very interesting this has been really great Thank you guys for coming. Thank I want to you. thank my guests, Catherine and Cameron, for hanging out with me, giving us the inside scoop on how they utilize research and data in their storytelling. Please make sure to tune back with us here at Real Talk Podcast. In a few weeks, you won't be disappointed. Follow us on Twitter at Real Talk CRE for more information on me and our guests. Thanks, guys. Thanks for thank having you. us. Liz.